Episode 247 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Gusto and by FreshBooks. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll benefits and HR to small businesses across the country, and they were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. Get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. You can sign up right now to give it a try, gusto.com slash read to lead. And you can also demo FreshBooks cloud accounting software free for 30 days and get access to all FreshBooks features when you go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section i am not gonna dunk a basketball i wasn't gonna play in the nba i I cannot be anything that i want to be but i can be anything i was made to be Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. And if you happen to be listening on the day this episode is being published, Merry Christmas. I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, that intentional and consistent reading has to be a part of that journey. And the Read to Lead podcast is going to help bring you the key insights and main ideas, the gold nuggets from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors and their books. In just about a minute, we're going to sit down with Terry A. Smith. His brand new book out now is called The Hospitable Leader, Create Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. I'll ask Terry to share about why he believes everyone should study the leadership practices of Jesus, his assertion that we can only learn if we're willing to, quote, sit at the table with people who are not like us, how to lead effectively in an environment where everyone is outraged about something and plenty more. Hospitable leadership is a big idea, an urgently needed idea, it says in the inside front cover of Terry's brand new book. In a world that far too often feels inhospitable, people are longing for leaders who create a climate that brings diverse people together to achieve desired and meaningful results. That's what hospitable leaders do. They create environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding group of people to accomplish worthy goals together. Terry's lived it. He is living it. Practicing leadership with a hospitality mindset, Terry says, is the right way, the moral way to lead people. But when understood properly, hospitable leadership has a radical edge and it brings revolutionary results. Terry A. Smith has served as lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in the New York metropolitan area for about 27 years now. It's a a non-denominational faith community known for its vibrant diversity and robust leadership culture with people from more than 132 distinct communities in the New York City metro area participating in the life of the church. Pretty impressive. Uh, Terry is a co-founder of Movement.org, formerly the New York City Leadership Center, and he's previously served as an instructor in its Leadership Fellows Program. He's passionate about challenging, developing, and encouraging leaders, whether they know their leaders or not. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Organizational Management and a Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership. And I've invited him on to share his insight on leveraging the power of hospitality to be an effective leader through his book, The Hospitable Leader, Create Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. Terry, I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for doing this, despite the fact that you're a bit under the weather. Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, hospitality, Terry says, provided a pathway for Jesus to advance his mission and and to advance ours, he says. We've got to embrace his 
hospitable example. Uh, so why, Terry, why should we want to study the leadership practices of Jesus? If I'm someone who is not, say, a believer in Christianity, especially, I'm not a follower of Jesus, um, maybe I'm even an atheist or an agnostic, why would I want to follow the leadership practices of that guy? Well, first of all, if you believe differently than I do about the claims that Jesus made about himself as being the way, the truth, and the life, I respect you and appreciate your point of view. And I I think that we can find common ground around the leadership methodology of Jesus. And that's really what I try to do in The Hospitable Leader is I try to talk about how that Jesus is the ultimate hospitable leader and I think inarguably the most successful leader in the history of the world. I mean, it's kind of amazing to consider that two 2,000 years after he died, there are a couple billion people who are still following him. And his. I think it's worth studying how he led the way he did mm. that, that brought him such success. One of the things I read toward the end of, uh, of the first chapter, um, I love it when books have these little uh, summaries at the end to remind you of what's important, what you need to remember. And one of those says to uh, identify the physical, emotional, and relational pathways leading to your goals. Why, why is that important? Well, when I, when I talk about hospitable leadership, I say that a hospitable leader creates environments of welcome where mm. moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. So a hospitable leader is paying attention to the kind of environment that's being created where any any type of moral leadership can can more effectively be practiced. I mean, uh, obviously, leadership is ultimately about influence. So I'm trying to create an environment where I can better influence people. And I think that a, a good leader, and certainly a hospitable leader, is paying attention to physical environment, spiritual environment, emotional environment, attitudinal environment, and communicative environment. You know, most everyone is familiar with The Last Supper, if only because of the art that it's generated. But when you look at the story of The Last Supper from the perspective of leadership methodology, it's just genius on a number of levels. For one thing, the story of The Last Supper takes up quite a bit of print in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, I think it takes up something like five chapters. Mm. And one of the things people miss is that Jesus personally paid attention to the physical environment in which the supper was going to happen. He assigned Peter and John as two most important leaders to go find a place. And there are several verses given to this in several Gospels to find a place that was large enough, that was furnished properly, uh, to to take great pains to prepare the meal, which was no small feat for a party of 12 plus one. So he paid attention to the physical environment. He also, because of who he was, paid attention to the spiritual environment. And I think key to that is that we're told in the Gospel of John at the beginning of the story of the Last Supper that he knew the authority that he'd received from the Father. He was, if you please, so confident in himself, in his relationship to God, in this case, to the transcendent, that he created a, a spiritual environment where where people knew there was something more than just the physical thing happening. Mm. He, he also created an emotional environment that was very important. John's Gospel says that he showed his disciples at that supper the full extent of his love. That's a direct quote. Uh, Rodney Ferris and others have done great work around organizational love. The idea that a moral leader shows his or her followers 
how much they love them and how that that environment of love, that emotional environment of love becomes such an important part of a leader being able to lead effectively. Then concerning attitudinal environment, he then famously wrapped himself in the towel of a servant and and washed the feet of his disciples, which is to say, though he was the one with the power, he made it clear that he was there to serve the needs of his followers. And then finally, and pardon my long-winded answer here, Jeff, uh, I sound like a pastor right now, don't I? He created a communicative environment where he then said things If you look at what he said at the Last Supper from the perspective of a leadership talk, it is amazing. He he makes a new agreement with his followers. He tells them he's going to kind of open the books and tell them the details of his father's business. Mm. He tells them he's he's chosen them to go and do a certain work and that they have to produce results. He says you you have to bear fruit and that he's going to hold them accountable for the results that they produce. But all of this is about a leader creating an environment where something of tremendous consequence can happen from a leadership perspective. Okay, I'm done with that. <laughs> well, one of the things that that grabbed my attention, I had a pen at the ready throughout my reading of this book and underlined uh, and highlighted quite a few things. Uh, one of the passages I underlined was where you talked about how you've learned over your many years of leadership that if you can warm people's hearts, you can lead them to any good thing. Uh, but as you also observed, there is no class in any business school called How to Warm People's Hearts. <laughs> and so I would like for you to describe what does that mean exactly to warm people's hearts and, and how do leaders go about accomplishing that? Well, I'm around a lot of leaders who've gone the business school route, which is a good thing. And I, I'm I'm blessed to, to be around some leaders who have gone to some of the best business schools in the world. But I've watched them sometimes lead meetings that are full of information and PowerPoint charts and goal setting and uh, the end with action item list. But they never pay attention to what it means to engage somebody's heart. And if, if people are just walking out with knowledge or with a goal or with action items, but they, they, they're not passionate and their will has not been engaged in a meaningful way, the likelihood of there being success outcomes is unlikely. Mm. And so I think that a leader learns how to engage people's hearts. And I use the language that you warm people's hearts. This is a great example of uh, the disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. They didn't know who he was until at dinner when he revealed himself. And then they said, essentially, we should have known that was him because while he talked with us, Mm -hmm. our hearts were burning in us. Mm -hmm. And I think the great leaders know how to make people's hearts burn. Mm -hmm. I love that. I wondered if you would expound on your belief, Terry, that that we can only learn if we sit at the table with people who are not like us. Yeah, so so the hospital leader is organized around five welcomes. The first welcome is called home, which is where I talk about this idea of creating an environment where people feel home, their hearts are warm, and they can be more easily led. The second welcome is strangers. This is where I I talk about what happens when we are willing to sit at the table with people. And the table is metaphorical. It speaks of any environment of welcome. When we intentionalize sitting at the table with people who are not like us, part of my story, Jeff, and a really important part of my story is I, I lead the Life Christian Church here in a suburb of New York City. And we have what some people have called the most diverse congregation in the world. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white guy, but there's no dominant racial group in our congregation, as an example. We have people from a variety of nations of origin, uh, ethnicities. Our socioeconomic diversity is crazy. We have people, last we checked, from, I think, 136 specific communities attending our congregation. We're probably half Republican and half Democrat, or maybe a third Republican, a third Independent, a third Democrat. It's crazy. Mm. But my life uh, and, frankly, my influence has been greatly expanded because I do life with people who are in so many ways not like me. So there's this this great passage in Hebrews where we're told to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, but then it says, and don't uh, forget to entertain strangers or don't forget to show hospitality to strangers because you might be entertaining <laughs> angels unaware. And I talk a lot, it's one of our big values here in our church, about what it means to show hospitality to a stranger, by which I mean anyone who is strange to you or to whom you are strange. And man, there's a world of people that that, <laughs> that relates to for most of us. Anyone to whom you are strange or who is strange to you. And what I've learned is that when I intentionalize when I organize my life and ministry and leadership in a way where I'm constantly at the table with people who are strange to me, many times those people become uh, messengers from God. So that so the text says, don't forget to entertain strangers because you may be entertaining an angel unaware. An angel means a messenger from God. And I've learned many times that when I do life with people who are not like me, they actually become the voice of God into my life and help me understand things. I would never have understood, feel things I would have never felt, see opportunities that I would have never seen, and so on. And I think it's even it becomes even more difficult, uh, I would imagine, to to lead in that environment when everyone in today seems to be you know, outraged by by a lot of different things, and often rightfully so. And and whether that stems from from uh, racial tensions or political divisions, uh, how can we lead effectively in, in that kind of environment? Well, you know, th this book we're talking about, The Hospitable Leader, is a book on leadership. But I, I think that this, this stranger's part that we're digging into a little bit here mm -hmm. is maybe the most important thing I have to say from a societal perspective. Mm -hmm. Henry Nouwen, who wrote a seminal book on hospitality, said that we, we have to move from hostility to hospitality. Uh, Christine Pohl, an Asbury Seminary professor, said that hospitality is resistance to the way things are in the world. I feel so strongly that our nation would be so much better if people would stop yelling at each other and sit down together and talk, not for the sake of compromising one's values, but you can't influence someone who you haven't welcomed to the table. And every empty seat at the table is a missed opportunity. And I, I, I could tell stories about recent interactions with significant politicians in, in the country who I dramatically disagree with, who I've talked about this hospitable leadership uh, message with and challenge them to please, almost beg them, please sit down with the person that you you were just on TV yelling at. And please, let's try to accomplish something. Well, you mentioned the different welcomes. We've hit on home and strangers. The first two, I want to transition to the third one called dreams. And, and many leaders 
of the past, you say, seem to believe their primary purpose of their power was to make their own dreams come true. Not that they shouldn't have dreams of their own, but you want to say that the, the central emphasis of our dream must be to serve the dreams of the people we lead. Uh, can, can you unpack for us what that looks like? Yeah, so in a really famous passage in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives a great leadership talk where he talks about in John chapter 10 the difference between good shepherds and bad shepherds. And he identifies himself as the good shepherd. He's basically talking about good leaders and bad leaders. There's a lot of context around that that I won't bore you or our audience with. But in in the course of that talk, he says, he said, I have come that you might have life in its fullness, or as the translation or paraphrase called the message has it, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. And he identifies his leadership style as being invested in the dreams of his followers. And I think that that's what great moral leaders do. We get up every day, not just to make our dreams come true, but a big part of our dream is to help the dreams of our followers come true. Sadly enough, I think a a lot of people experience the leadership of uh, powerful leaders as an attempt to motivate them to help the leader's dream come true. And I think that there's something, frankly, at its core that's immoral about that. Now, I I think both can and should happen at the same time. I have what I hope are God-given dreams that I'm trying to encourage the people who look to me as their leader to to accomplish together with me. I don't think that that's immoral. I, I just think that if it's all about them helping me, there's something fundamentally rotten about that. I think I also have to get up and say, I want to see your dreams come true. The the mission of our church is to inspire people so that their dreams might come true and to spread God's love in ever-widening circles. We make this a big part of our core mission. Basically, if you come and be a part of what we're doing, I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to try to inspire you to see your dreams come true. Hmm. You ever think about running for president? (laughs) (laughs) My wife might vote for me. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things that makes it possible for me to bring you the show every week absolutely free is when you cast a vote for Read to Lead. And one of the ways you can cast a vote is when you demo our sponsors' products. And I've made it possible for you to demo a couple of products for free just because you listen to the show. If you have a business or you know someone who does, then you probably know that small business owners wear lots of hats. I certainly do. And and some of those hats are great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and expert HR support all in one place. Now get this, Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. You might say those old-school clunky payroll providers weren't built for the way modern small businesses work, but Gusto is. Better yet, now's the best time to get set up for the new year because you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself if Gusto is for you. You can check that out at gusto.com slash read to lead. Be sure and use that special URL to get those three months. Gusto.com slash read to lead. And when you want to track expenses or time or invoices and all that goes with that, then a great compliment to Gusto is FreshBooks cloud accounting software. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? 
FreshBooks has made my life so much easier, and coming in 2019, I will be able to say these words. I've been using FreshBooks for a decade. What I'm trying to say is if you're not already using it, you should be. And FreshBooks is making it super simple and easy to try, free for 30 days with access to all FreshBooks has to offer. What's that, you ask? Well, things like easy invoicing, invoice customization, the kind of insights that when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to a lot of guessing games. There's also a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment up front when you're kicking off a project, say. If waiting for client checks in the mail is slowing down your cash flow with literally two clicks, you can set yourself up to receive payments online. Oh, and your clients will love being able to pay by credit card straight from their invoice. It's things like that that mean you get paid a lot faster. To demo FreshBooks free for 30 days, you go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. That address again, freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Well, Terry says he disagrees with the well-meaning sentiment that says we can be anything we want to be and do anything we want to do anywhere we want to do it. Uh, so, Terry, why do you feel that sort of sentiment or that thinking is, is a bit misguided? Well, I, I have this concept that I call area of destiny. And probably more than anything that I've done in my leadership career, this has gained the most attention. And we're really blessed by that. Uh, Jack and Susie Welch in their last book actually wrote a, a chapter about Area of Destiny based on a talk they heard me give. And Susie, who's the career expert on the Today Show and former editor of the Harvard Business Review, calls it the best career idea that she's heard in a long time. So that's where this thing comes from, where I say I don't buy into the idea that people can be anything they want to be anywhere they want to be it. So so for it's just it's not true and it's not fair, especially to say to young people, which is where it's often said, I cannot be the king of England. I am not going to and never have been able to dunk a basketball. I wasn't going to play in the NBA. I, I'm originally from Indiana, so I can shoot like crazy, but there are a lot of other skills I'm, I'm missing. Mm. I cannot be anything that I want to be, but I can be anything I was made to be. Mm. And I think what we have to do is we have to figure out what is our area of destiny. What did God say that my life was supposed to be about? What was I meant to be? And I, I say that area of destiny is the intersect. If you could imagine a Venn diagram, area of destiny is the intersect of mission, passion, and gifts. It's really quite simple. Mm. Mission is saying, you know, wh where am I needed? Passion is saying, where is my heart engaged? And gifts says, well, what am I gifted to do? And, and, and what gifts can I turn into skills to be able to offer a unique contribution? So I think that people can be anything they were made to be. And in that place, there's limitless possibility. So I don't think there's limitless possibility outside of our area of destiny. But within our area of destiny, anything is possible. The fourth welcome is communication. I want to move to that now. Terry, expound on the idea that as leaders, we aren't doing those we lead any favors when we protect them from difficult situations. Oftentimes, we want to do that as, as parents as well, and it's often not the best route to take, right? Yeah. So so as a, as a leader, sometimes 
my dreams have uh, presented me with tremendous challenges and sometimes, frankly, suffering to see those dreams come true. And I know that that's a part of real leadership. Leaders want to get from here to there, and uh, leaders tend to take risk, and leaders tend to sometimes get out over their skis and feel the consequences of having great dreams. But what I've noticed is that if I'm approaching leadership from the perspective of inspiring other people to see their dreams come true, that my inspiring them is going to put them in the same kind of difficult situations that I've been in when I've tried to actualize the dreams I believe that God's given me. And a lot of times uh, I see people who I've inspired to go do something, you know, start a business or, or leave business and go back to school or begin a nonprofit or whatever. And I will, I will see them struggling through what it takes to start a new business, for instance. And I, you know, I'll say to someone, how's it going? And they'll say, well, you know, I'm, uh, the business is struggling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see a lot of potential, but I'm having trouble making payroll next week. And I kind of feel bad that I know that I was a part of inspiring them to go do something great with their lives. Mm -hmm. And I especially experience that now with my adult children who are dreamers. And I see them, you know, suffering to see their dreams come true. And I want to protect them from it. But I know that part of the beauty of life is that some of the greatest lessons in life will be learned in those difficult times. And I have to, I have to avoid the instinct to protect them from the challenges that inevitably come when people are chasing their dreams. Well, we've touched a bit, Terry, on the first four welcomes. Uh, as I transition in the time we have remaining to uh, some questions not directly related to the book, is there anything else from uh, the final section on feasts or any uh, other part of the book you want to make sure we walk away with or know about? I appreciate that, Jeff. I, I appreciate your great questions and giving me the opportunity to talk about some of this stuff to this point, so I'm happy. <laughs> well, let me quiz you a bit on uh, what may be a tough answer to give, and that's the, the books that you're reading, and particularly those, Terry, that you know stick out in your mind right now as I'm asking this question and have had an impact on you, the titles that jump out as having impacted you more than any others, and share, if you can, why they impacted you as they did. Well, it's hard for me to narrow down the books that have impacted me because I am a I am a voracious reader and I really appreciate the byline of your show. So, uh, some some books that jump out to me, one would be Donald McAuliffe's John Adams. Mm. A great biography of John Adams and now I I've read a lot of biographies, but this is the one that always stands out to me as just one of the the best written and most insightful books about one of our founding fathers and was very moved by everything John Adams. Mm. I love from a from a leadership perspective, I think one of the best books I've ever read is Jack Welch and Winning. I think Warren Buffett said that there never needs to be another book on management ever written. <laughs> I mean, it's just really great. Mm. And I read that, was reading that when I actually met Jack, and I was very impacted by winning. Uh, I've, I've been very moved by the work of Brene Brown the last couple of years. Yeah. 
Dare Greatly. I, I, I actually read it because a young woman on my staff recommended it to me. And, and I truly, I took it on a study break I was on just so I could try to understand what a millennial woman might be thinking about life. Mm. And I found myself profoundly moved by her work on vulnerability and seeing ourselves as being worthy of love and belonging. I've been really moved by Julian of Norwich's uh, classic Divine Showings. Uh, I'm sure you know who she is, but she mm. was a mystic who lived, I think, in the 14th century. And she had a vision of Jesus that was really profound. And it's really amazing. And, and, and I, I, my guess is that it's probably on all the top 50 books ever written lists. <laughs> I mean, I can keep going. N.T. Wright, uh, I recently finished his new biography on Paul, and it's kind of this all-encompassing approach to the life of Paul who, you know, talk about leadership. I mean, Paul literally, literally mm. changed the world. I, I, I'm finishing right now uh, a biography on Napoleon, and man, I'm trying to remember the author's name. I feel terrible that I can't. <laughs> oh. But I'm, I'm finding myself tremendously discouraged seeing how the hubris of Napoleon got him into such trouble at the end of his career. So I'm a little discouraged by that one. Mm. Well, uh, another question I, I ask virtually every guest uh, relate to public speaking. And obviously, as a pastor, that's something you get to practice more regularly than most of us do. Uh, if you're willing, I'd love for you to share your tips for delivering a talk or sermon that is impactful and, and memorable and that's going to leave an impression on, on the listener. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I I, I, sh I talk about this at some length. I write about this at some length in the hospital leader in the communication section. Mm -hmm. But I would say to simplify it, that first of all, I try to find things in common with my audience. The Latin root of communication, of course, uh, has to do with finding something in common. And so I would say that I, that I begin with that. Secondly, I listen. I listen. Mm -hmm. I try to listen to my audience before I speak to them. I try to get a sense of their frame of reference. I try to listen to them while I'm speaking. I am always paying attention to, to what they're saying back to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean physically or verbally, but they're, they're talking to us as we're speaking. And I'm always listening while I'm speaking. And I try to listen after I speak, mm -hmm. meaning I try to get feedback. And then third, I try to speak hospitably. Now that I have a sense of who my audience is and I'm finding things in common with them, I'm carefully choosing every word so that I speak truth, but I speak truth in a way where it's wrapped in grace and can be received. A lot of people say great things, but they say it in ways <laughs> that people just, they can't receive it. Mm, very well said. Finally, now that the book is out, what's next? What's around the corner for you and your team that, that you're excited about? Well, I'd say probably the biggest thing that we're involved in right now is that we have just started a new campus. So our, what we now call broadcast campus is in West Orange, New Jersey, 13 miles from Times Square. Mm. So we're, we're right here in the New York City metropolitan area, and we've just started a new campus in Paramus, New Jersey, which is about five miles from the George Washington Bridge. And that's taken a whole lot of bandwidth, and our team's very engaged, and it's one of those things where I'm way out over my skis in terms of what it takes to fund it and staff it and, and help it be successful. So that's, prob that's what comes to mind. Mm. 
Well, the book, again, is called The Hospitable Leader, Create Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. His name is Terry A. Smith, and he's under the weather today, but still showed up, and we are thankful for that. Terry, thank you so much for sharing uh, of your, your time and your expertise and your experience all these years leading the church. Hey, thank you, Jeff. And can I, can I tell you a little bit about where people can go to learn more? Absolutely. Please do. Yeah, so if somebody wants to visit terryasmith.com forward slash read to lead, then there's a special page, Jeff, for your listeners. That's terryasmith.com forward slash read to lead. Terry, by the way, is spelled T-E-R-R-Y. We're, we're encouraging people to get engaged in this idea of hospitable leadership, and we're offering for your listeners the audiobook for 50% off. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So uh, we'd love for people to be able to take advantage of that. People can also learn more about uh, the book at hospitableleader.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. That was a, a nice little pleasant surprise. Merry Christmas to me and, and all the Read to Lead listeners, I guess. <laughs> Merry Christmas indeed. I'll include those links that Terry mentioned in the blog post, the show notes page for today's episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 247 for episode 247. I'll also include links to the books that Terry recommended. Don't forget that you cast a vote for the podcast when you try out those free product demos I mentioned. Gusto.com slash read to lead and freshbooks.com slash read to lead. I am so glad and thankful that you've decided to spend a part of your day with me and with Terry. If you'd like to share comments or feedback about the show or this episode specifically, feel free to send me a personal note, Jeff at read to lead podcast.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,